Amen. Amen. Don't ever doubt that, family. Don't ever doubt God's love for you. And if you are tempted to doubt or not believe in God's love for you, he's given us a symbol, and that symbol is the cross. The cross is the symbol that should be deeply implanted in every heart and mind that reminds them of the love of God. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, the love of God is displayed through the cross. You can't talk about the love of God without talking about the cross. You can't talk about the cross without talking about the love of God. They go hand in hand. They're like a glove. So don't ever doubt that. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're experiencing in life, remember, God displayed his love for you at the cross. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we come before you, Lord. Thank you for this sweet time of worship. Thank you, Lord, for this reminder through this worship song that you love us and you displayed that love. You didn't just say it, you displayed it. You didn't just proclaim it, you went all the way to the cross. You you were 100% God, 100% man, and in your humanity, you suffered like no one else could ever suffer to display the love of God through, through, through the cross, through the efficacy of the cross and what you did there. You brought us into a relationship with you, Lord. You reconciled us to yourself through the precious blood of the Lamb. That's a lot. So, Lord, may we never doubt that truth and may we live by it. For it's in Jesus' powerful and awesome name I pray. And if you agree with that prayer, please say amen. 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 You may have a seat. I'm super pumped. I'm super excited about my teaching today. I've been, it's been cooking for two weeks in my spirit. And uh, I'm just so excited to teach this message. I'm teaching on uh, the title of my message is Defending the Resurrection. I'm going to give you ten evidences for the resurrection of Jesus. That's 10 things that you can look to or that history testifies to that you can believe and trust in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So please turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 28. We're always going to launch. We're going to start our teaching off with the word of God. And uh, so Matthew chapter 28, we're going to read verses 11 through 15. Matthew chapter 28, verse 11. Now while they were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priest all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, you are to say, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story has been widely spread among the Jews to this day. Lord, thank you for your word. Speak to us now as we dive into the subject, defending the resurrection. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. In recent years, there's been a resurgence of skeptics and atheists attacking and trying to disprove the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. A couple examples would be the Freedom From Religion Foundation, whose president is Dan Barker. He hates God. I watched a debate between Dan Barker and Todd Frill around 2006 down in Jacksonville, Florida, and Dan Barker said to Todd Frill, if I stand before God on Judgment Day, I'll tell him to go to hell. Yeah, that's how much, that's, that's his, his venom towards Christianity. He does not like Christianity, and they fight against religion at every corner in the political square. Then there's Christopher Hitchens, who passed away in 2012. Christopher Hitchens wrote the famous book, uh, God is Not Great. He wrote a book called God is Not Great, and uh, he attacked Christianity, the existence of God, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's, there's another group called the Jesus Seminar. I don't know if you've ever heard of them or not. 
But Jesus Seminar, you're like, oh, man, the Jesus Seminar. Let's go check out the Jesus Seminar. But the Jesus Seminar are a, are a group of liberal skeptics, and their one mission in life is to tear apart the Scriptures, to tear apart everything that the Bible says. They're a very liberal group, and they fight against uh, the truths of the Bible. Specifically, they, they try to fight against the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, friends and family, the fight to deny the resurrection of Jesus did not begin in our lifetime, okay? It began literally hours after the resurrection itself in that passage I just read to you. Verses 12 and 13, money was given to the soldiers to get them to lie. And then you look at verse 14, deception. They deceived the governor to keep the guards out of trouble. Think about it. Think, think, put your thinking caps on. The death and the resurrection of Jesus is good news. It's good news. God is saving man from his sin. Why would anybody deny this? He's offering you eternal life. He's offering you forgiveness of sin. Why would you reject such a kind offer? I still to this day can't find a good reason to turn away from Christ. Because there are none. Because as that song we said, he is good. God is good. He's good in everything he says. He's good in everything he does. But man in his fallen state fights against that, that truth. The world's argument against Jesus' resurrection is not based on reason or evidence. It is a, take this to the bank, family, it is a heart issue. It is a heart issue. Man in his fallen state, deep down inside, he hates the resurrection. They hate the resurrection because it is a reminder that they are not the final authority of what is truth and what is right and what is wrong. God and God alone is the author, and he is the one and the final authority that defines what truth is and what is right and what is wrong. The resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate every year at, at, um, at Easter time in April, the resurrection of Jesus is a reminder that there is life after death. Bank on it. Count on it. It's going to happen. It's called eternity. And in eternity, there is a real heaven, and there is a real hell. Heaven. Oh, I can't wait. A place of everlasting joy. A place that's going to be so beautiful, and it's going to be so exciting. Do you like being filled with joy and excitement and living life and, and enjoying your life and your existence? Wait till you get to heaven. It's going to be ecstasy for all eternity. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be glorious. Um, a place of perfection. Streets of gold. Eternal life. A place filled with the glory and the majesty of God. It's going to blow your mind. It's going to be beautiful. That's heaven. But, friends and family, the resurrection is a reminder also that there is a place called hell, a horrifying place, a place that's described as the, the lake of fire where souls weep. They weep and they cry for all eternity, forever, because of their failure to trust in Christ and be born again when they were here on this earth. They will remember that for all eternity as they weep and they cry for all eternity. I don't like crying. It's a very miserable state, but they'll be in that state forever where there's gnashing of teeth and torment in an eternal lake of fire. So the resurrection is a reminder that heaven and hell is real. The resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate every Easter or March is a yearly reminder. It's a tap on the shoulder of the sinner, you need to get saved. Isn't it cool how God reminds the whole world? He's even got it on the calendar. He reminds the world that there is an eternity by his resurrection from the dead, and he reminds them that they need to be saved. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So first off, that text says that God is patient. God is patient. Despite us deserving judgment for our sin, 
He's patient towards us, wanting us to come to our senses, wanting us to come to an understanding of who he is. And it says right there in 2 Peter 3, 9, he's not wanting anyone to perish. He wants all people to repent and believe the gospel. But unfortunately, every reminder is often met with resistance. So God has given the entire world a creation to remind them of his existence, Christians to witness the word of God, to uh, testify to that truth. And he's, he's constantly reminding the world they need to repent. And the resurrection is a reminder of all this. The resurrection is a yearly reminder to the Christian. The resurrection is a yearly reminder to the Christian of the joy that awaits them in heaven. The Christian loves the resurrection. They rejoice in the resurrection, understanding that Jesus Christ has defeated death, hell, and the grave through the resurrection. The Christian understands this resurrection, it is the beautiful gospel by which they are saved and they are filled with inexpressible joy because of Jesus' resurrection. The resurrection is a reminder to all that they will stand before Christ on judgment day. Everyone will stand before Christ on judgment day, whether you believe in him or not. You cannot unclick that option. That one is set. The truth of Christianity This is it right here, family, what we're studying this morning. The whole entire Bible, the truth of Christianity, rests on what we're looking at this morning. It comes down to the resurrection of Jesus. If you can disprove the resurrection of Jesus, Christianity is reduced to a worthless religion. It's worthless. That's what Paul said in in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. Where he says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith if Christ has not been raised. But if Christ has been raised, that's a game changer. That changes the landscape. That should wake us up. That should be like, whoa, this is huge. If Christ has been raised from the dead, that changes the whole spectrum of life and existence on planet earth. As Dr. Henry Morris said, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the crowning proof of Christianity. If the resurrection did not take place, then Christianity is a false religion. But if it did take place, then Christ is God and the Christian faith is absolute truth. Or as Paul says in Romans chapter 3, what if some do not have faith? Will their lack of faith nullify the faithfulness of God? He answers the question, not at all. Let God be true, every man be a liar. So I want to present to you, I found these, and and I want to present to you very briefly, five theories put forth by skeptics and atheists. Five theories that you'll you'll hear out there in the scholarly world of what the, the people that deny the resurrection of Jesus, these are the five things that they most commonly say. The first one there is the swoon theory. The swoon theory says Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He just went unconscious. He, did, he just kind of dozed off to sleep for a little while until he, was, until he was in the tomb, and then he just somehow, surprisingly, woke up. Then there's the s- stolen body theory. This theory says the body was stolen by the disciples, and, and, they, and, they, and they hid it so nobody could find it. Then there's the hallucination theory. This is where it says the disciples were so overwhelmed in grief that God gave them a vision just to make them feel better. How ridiculous is that? The hallucination theory. We're going to talk about the eyewitnesses in a minute. Then there's the mistaken identity theory that when, then some people believe that, uh, well, it really wasn't uh, Jesus on that Sunday morning. It was somebody else. They just, they just thought it was Jesus as Mary Magdalene and the women fell at his feet and worshipped him and they witnessed him and they went to Galilee and they met him there. And then the the fifth one, which was the funny one, the alien theory. The alien theory, uh, some people uh, say, is uh, aliens came down. They took the body of Jesus and left the planet with him. I wonder where he went. What planet did he go to? Now, I wish, I, I really do. I, I, did, I, did do, I did do my homework this week. I really wish I could elaborate on each of these theories and tell you more about them. 
But the bottom line is there's no substance and there's no evidence for them. They're made up by men who had too much time to sit around and daydream and think up their atheistic concepts. There is no solid evidence for any of them. That's why they're called theories. Because some people thinking in their brains wrote something down. They have a scholarly title before their name, a doctor or PhD or, or whatever, and people give weight to it. But again, they are just theories. There is zero evidence for any of these. The resurrection of Jesus, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus in his life has been a well-documented, firmly founded truth since the beginning of creation. I mean, we split time in half. B.C., A.D., you know, uh, Jerusalem, where Jesus went about doing all of his ministries. This is not the underworld. This is not Narnia. This is here on planet Earth in a city called Jerusalem on the other side of this planet. It was a real place. It was real events. So what I want to do this morning is I want to present to you 10 evidences for the resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to have a little fun with this. What I want you to do, maybe if you got pen and paper it, over the next few moments, you, you'll need to do it quickly because I'm going to jump into this, but you, you write down what do, you th- what do you think are the greatest evidences for the resurrection of Jesus. And as I go through my 10 evidences of the resurrection, hey, let's see who see whose matches. But here's the thing about it. I'm not going to go from the greatest evidence to, to the what I would say the weakest evidence. I'm going to start with number 10. And I'm going to work my way up to number one. Number one, to me, is the absolute strongest evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And number 10, if you want to call it that, they're all solid. But number 10 would be the weakest evidence, but still an evidence. So you all ready to dive into this? Okay, 10 evidences from the re- for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Going from the 10th evidence all the way up to number one. Number 10. The venerated tomb. Today, built over the site of the empty tomb, is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. The church, this church, the Holy Sepulchre, which I've been there, is in the Christian quarters of the old city of Jerusalem. It stands over this holy site and is considered to be the holiest and most important pilgrimage site for Christians. There's actually two sites there in Jerusalem. There's the garden tomb, and then there's the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And the, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, it holds the most weight as being the site of where Calvary was in the empty tomb. But friends and family, my point is this. They have built a church over this site. You can go there today and see this church that's built over the site of the empty tomb and the resurrection. It's a place that you can go to Columbia Airport, fly to Paris, fly into Tel Aviv, travel to Jerusalem, the old city, and you can see this church, this facility, with your eyes. This built over the site of Calvary and the empty tomb. That's number 10. The next strongest, next stronger evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. Number nine is this. The survival of Christianity in the first century. I don't think we realize and understand what it took and how, what it took for Christianity to be established and the fight that it took to get it established in the first century world. Christianity was not welcomed in our world. It was not welcomed in the first century. Christianity faced opposition at every corner. The hostility of religion from the Pharisees, from the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, they hated Jesus. They hated Christ. They opposed him at every opportunity, culminating in his crucifixion, in their rejection of Jesus. Then you roll into the book of Acts. Paul goes on three missionary journeys, establishing and establishing the church and evangelizing the world. But then there was this group called the Judaizers. They came behind Paul, distorting the truth of the gospel by adding uh, law to grace. They so frustrated Paul that you can look this up in Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. Paul calls them dogs. 
because they were distorting the doctrines and the truth of grace. Then there was the imperial cult of Rome. According to the imperial cult religion of Rome, there was only one God to worship, and his name was Caesar. One of our favorite Bible verses um, when we're sharing the gospel with people is Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Many of you know it by heart. It says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The apostle Paul wrote that verse to the church at Rome. And for a Christian to follow through with that call to salvation, to confess Jesus is Lord, that was a death sentence in the first century. That was a death sentence in Rome. Because in, in their culture, in their cult, in their religion, there was only one Lord, and his name was Caesar, and that was a death sentence. And then Paul went head-to-head um, -head with the Greek philosophies of Athens and the Greek culture. They vehemently opposed his teaching on the resurrection. So it wasn't like Jesus came to this world and the apostles and the prophets and and the church, it wasn't like the world welcomed them. They faced opposition at every single corner. From Jesus' very birth, what did they try to do? They tried to kill him. They, they tried to kill Jesus when he was just a couple years old. Till the very, very end, when Paul and Peter are imprisoned, it was, it was constantly met with resistance, but despite all the opposition that Christianity faced in the first century, it survived and it thrived. So that's the second evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, is the survival of Christianity in the first century. Number eight, no, I said second, we're working our way up. To me, it's getting stronger and stronger. How are we doing so far? Anybody wrote some of these down? Anybody thought about these? Number eight is the Apostle Paul. Paul the Apostle. At the inception of Christianity, Paul was a fierce, a fierce Pharisee. Listen to how he describes himself in Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Paul talking about himself. He was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. I find it funny when people try to attack the Apostle Paul today and they try to attack his writings. What they fail to understand is, in the beginning, he hated Christianity. He wanted to stomp out Christians. He wanted to put, bring the church to an end. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. His name was Saul before his conversion. Now Saul was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest and asked for a letter from him to the synagogues at Damascus that he found anyone belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. If anything you know about Paul, it is this. Before his conversion, he hated Christianity, he hated Jesus, he hated the gospel, and he wanted to bring it to an end. But God, on the road to Damascus, changed his heart. Paul saw the light. God knocked him off his horse, literally. Paul gets saved, radically saved, and he spends the rest of his life taking the gospel to the Gentile world and writing 13 New Testament books. 14, if you want to include the book of Hebrews. That is the power of the gospel, to change people. And the Apostle Paul is evidence of the resurrected Lord. Listen to the heart of the Apostle Paul after he gets saved. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 says, this is the Apostle speaking, Indeed, I count everything as loss, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That word rubbish in verse 8, the Greek word is skybalon. You know what it means? Horse dung. He considered everything in this life 
as worthless, as nothing compared to the value. Remember, he clinged to his, his identity as a Pharisee. He clinged to Judaism. He clinged to the law. He clinged to his hatred of Christianity. But let me tell you something, friends. When the Holy Spirit works on your heart and changes your life, it causes everything in this life to melt. And it's all like Skybalon compared to the value of knowing Jesus. This man, the Apostle Paul, was probably the most loving, kind soul you would ever meet. Before Christ, he was filled with venom. He was filled with hatred. He was filled with animosity. But after he experienced the grace of God, he was filled with the love of God. The Apostle, Paul the Apostle is a portrait of grace. And, number eight, he is a demonstration of the power of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Number seven, they get stronger and stronger. And by the way, I, I, I put these, this was my order. I didn't copy this from somebody. I didn't find somebody else who said, this is how I would order them. I looked at all ten, and I said, Okay, let's move this one to six. Let's move this one to three. Let's move this one to one. You know, this was, this was Pastor David's. You, yours might differ, but I, I'd be, I would love to hear it after service. Number seven, the seventh evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is the transformation of the disciples. The transformation of the disciples. Before the resurrection, the disciples were scared, they were afraid, and Scripture testifies that they all abandoned Jesus. But after Jesus' resurrection, they were changed. They were unashamed of the gospel. They preached with power and authority. They were so convinced of his resurrection, they chose death before denying Jesus. All but one died a martyr. Paul lost his head. Peter was crucified upside down. Matthew, uh, church history tells us, he was speared to death. For his faith, they all would not deny Jesus because they knew he rose from the grave. Nobody dies for a lie, but people will stand for the truth. I think about um, Peter denying Jesus uh, in the presence of these slave girls there by the fire before Jesus was crucified. He swore up and down, he did not know Jesus. And then after the resurrection, Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches the most powerful sermon to the Pharisees and to the Jews. And it cut to their heart. And many of them were saved. And they were added to the church. It transformed the disciples. I, I, I remember in 1992. I remember in 1992. Uh, I was a Guns N' Roses, ACDC, headbanging, immorality-loving, living in sin. Just I lived in darkness in every area of my life. I'm not going to go in, but I just lived it. And then I surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I gave my life to him. And I just remember the change. I was blown away. Like, man, how could I have spent all those wasted years I knew that my sins were forgiven. It totally transformed my life when I saw and was completely convinced that Jesus Christ rose from the grave and died on the cross for my sins. It changed my life. That, that doesn't mean everything in my life was perfect. I came into my Christianity with things that, that I needed discipleship and I needed spiritual growth, but God radically changed my life. And the evidence that we see from church history is that he radically changed these disciples. Number seven is closely related to number six. The sixth evidence that gets a little that gets more stronger, in my opinion, is the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. Jesus appeared to more than just the disciples and to the ladies. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 7. The apostle says, this is 30 years later in the 50s, 60 AD, he's writing to the church at Corinth. And, and the apostle says, for I delivered to you 
as of first importance what I also receive, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Caiaphas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the disciples. Jesus appeared post-resurrection afterwards, there before his ascension, to over 500 people. All it takes is two witnesses to verify something as being truth and being documented. But there were 500 plus witnesses who were still alive when the Apostle Paul wrote uh, the letter to the Corinthian church. So the sixth evidence is the post-resurrection appearances that the apostle talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 7. Number five, the fifth evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. Y'all are waiting for number one, aren't you? <laughs> I love number one. I can't wait to get to it, but I got to work my way there. We're, we're going down that path. I can't wait to talk about it. But number five, the emergence of the church. The fifth evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is the emergence of the church. After the resurrection of Jesus, a movement called the Ecclesia came into existence. That's the Greek word for church. It did not previously exist prior to the resurrection. And it's called the body of Christ. The church, the ecclesia, the people of the Lord. Prior to the resurrection, there was no such thing as the church. But then all of a sudden, after Jesus rose from the grave, this organic uh, entity called the church, the body of Christ, arose out of the earth by the power of the Holy Spirit because of the truth of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 5 verse 14 says multitudes of men and women were added to their number. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you some, I'm going to shoot to you some verses real quick. And this is the formation of the body of Christ on planet earth. Acts chapter 5 verse 14, multitude of men and women uh, were added to their number. Acts chapter 6 verse 1, the disciples were increasing in numbers. Acts chapter 6 verse 7, the word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem. And Luke adds greatly in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Acts chapter 16, verse 5. Churches increased in numbers daily. Acts chapter 17, verse 4. Large numbers of God-fearing Greeks and leading women came to Christ. What began with 11 disciples quickly spread across Judea and then across Asia Minor, Turkey, Italy, northern Africa, and Spain, all within the first century of Christianity. It was like a wildfire fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit as it spread across the world. Today, there, today in 2023, there is an estimated 2.3 billion Christians in the world. And it all started in the book of Acts. And it slowly spread like wildfire across planet earth what an amazing work of the holy spirit what an amazing work of god because of the truth of the resurrection of jesus and the power of the holy spirit jesus said in matthew 16 18 i will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the body of christ the church goes through seasons of prosperity. The church goes through seasons of uh, difficulty, seasons of fiery trials, and seasons of persecution. But the true church, the body of Christ, with the spiritual body of Christ, believers in Christ, they will prevail because they, the church, the body, she belongs to Jesus who rose from the grave. That is the fifth evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, the existence of the church. We are here today, the spiritual body of Christ is here 
Because we heard the gospel, we believe the gospel, and it continues throughout the world as people hear the gospel and the gospel's preached. Number four, number four, this is a really good one. 2,000 years of lives being changed. Has God changed your life? Has he changed your heart? Has, has, he, has he turned your life around and pointed you in the right direction? Well, friends and family, he's been doing that for 2,000 years. He's been turning lives around. People set free from drugs, from alcohol, and from the bondage of sin. God is in the business of changing lives, picking up the pieces and restoring sinners to wholeness, to healing, and to salvation. God is in the business of pouring out his Holy Spirit. And he's been pouring out his Holy Spirit for 2,000 years. The Bible says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. And God gives us revivals where he pours out his spirit and he lets the world know that he is still in the business of changing lives. In 1904, we had the revival of Wales, the Azusa Street outpouring. In 1727, we had the first great awakening with Wesley, Whitfield, and Edwards. The second great awakening of 1780. The revival in 1830 with Charles Finney. The layman's prayer revival of 1857 to 1861 with, remember his name? D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was a part of that revival. Then the Protestant Reformation of 1517 with Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, and Knox. The Billy Graham crusade in the second half of the 20th century. Then there was my favorite. What was it called? The Jesus Revolution of the 70s. If you have not been to see the movie Jesus Revolution, it's on streaming services. Go home and watch Jesus Revolution. There was the Jesus Revolution of the 70s where God poured out his Holy Spirit and the Calvary Chapel movement began with Chuck Smith and his wife reaching out to the hippies in Southern California, bringing them into the church and preaching the gospel and teaching them and showing them how to follow Jesus uh, I've, I've read reports where there were, um, the hippies were coming in, they were smelly, they were stinky, they were uh, dirtying up the carpet, and one of the elders went to Chuck and said, hey, they're dirtying up the carpet. And reports, history tells us, he said, well, remove the carpet. They're coming in. But it was a great revival that sparked the Jesus Revolution, that sparked this movement that we're currently in now. And my hope and my prayer is that God pours out his Holy Spirit not only on Calvary Chapel Irma, but all the churches across the landscape of the world that are preaching the gospel. And that we, we, we embrace his pouring out of his spirit. And he, and he changes us and he transforms us. That's what we, our heart cry is. That he takes our hardened hearts and he softens our hearts. How has he changed your life? Take inventory for a moment in your thoughts. Look back over your life from the moment you first believed to now. Some of you may have huge testimonies where you were radically delivered from something. Some of you, it was just a change of heart. It was just a change in direction in life. But that's what God is in the business of doing. And he's in the business of changing lives today because Jesus Christ rose from the grave and he's seated at the right hand of the Father and he is pouring out his Holy Spirit. Do you feel a stirring in your soul when you listen to gospel music? Do you feel a stirring in your soul when you're at church and you're hearing about what a relationship with Christ is like? That's the Holy Spirit. He's stirring your heart and he's making you say, man, I want more. If that's your heart's cry, that you want more of God in your life, that is God drawing you and pouring out his Holy Spirit and is coming from the right hand of the Father in heaven above where the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ is seated. Friends, that is number four. That is the fourth evidence. Number four of lives being changed for 2,000 years and hopefully until the day he comes again, he will continue to change lives. Number three, number three, not one gospel account, but four. 
There are four gospel accounts. You know, when you turn to the New Testament, you don't have just one gospel. You have four gospels. And these four gospels give us the complete picture of who Jesus is from four different angles. Four gospels written by four different authors, written from four different locations in four different time zones. The gospel of Matthew was written to Jews emphasizing Jesus as Israel's Messiah and King. Mark wrote his gospel from Peter's preaching at Rome, intended for the Gentiles. Luke wrote his gospel, stressing the humanity of Jesus, that Jesus had actual flesh and experienced life, just like you and I. And John wrote his gospel from Ephesus, emphasizing Jesus is God. And John's gospel stresses this, that Jesus is for the whole entire world. Mark's gospel focused on Gentiles. Matthew's gospel centered on Jews. Luke's gospel centered for people who are just having difficulty in life and understanding life. And then the gospel of John, he wrote it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to whoever believes in him. So all four gospels point to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, people will ask, what about manuscript evidences? You know, the, the Bible is the most well-documented source of information from the ancient world. There are over 30,000 fragments or pieces or manuscripts that date back to within a couple hundred years of Christianity. Some with even, some with, with even within 50-year period. But it's well documented, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John testifying to the truth that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And we have four different gospel accounts. So after you study one, go to the next. Because you can see it from a different angle. It's like, a, um, I heard an apologist say one time, it's like a, a car going down Main Street, Lexington. It gets to the intersection, it gets into a car accident. And you have four different reporters standing on the four different corners, and they all write to you about the car accident, explaining the way they saw it from their angle, like in a car accident. Well, it's the same way with Jesus' resurrection. They're giving it to you from four different angles so you can see it from every angle and you can understand it. Praise the Lord for four Gospels. Thank, praise the Lord for four Gospels. Number two, the second evidence for Jesus' resurrection is the empty tomb. Friends and family, the tomb is empty. The tomb is, the tomb was, and the tomb is empty today. And there is no credible alternative story to the resurrection. I, I, I challenge you, go out and find one. You won't. There is no credible information out there that gives you any other thing that could have happened with Jesus' body. Because the tomb is empty. In other words, there is no burial grave site to visit today. Christianity stands alone today with the only founder who does not have a burial site. Why? Because there is not a burial site. Buddha, Buddha, the founder of Buddhism, he died. This is well documented. Please go, go check it. Buddha died and he was cremated. From his cremations, they have a, a, a skull fragment, two teeth, and his ashes. His ashes have been distributed to Buddhist temples all across Southeast Asia. That's the founder of Buddhism. His ashes are spread across these Buddhist temples all across Southeast Asia. Muhammad, Muhammad's the founder of Islam. This is well documented. He died in 632 A.D., his body is entombed today in Medina, Saudi Arabia. You can go there today and visit his actual tomb. In other words, you can go to Columbia Airport, you can fly to Paris, you can fly into Medina, Saudi Arabia. Hey, taxi! The taxi cab driver can take you to the site. Uh, there's a green dome built over his burial site. It's a very holy and sacred site of the Muslims. But the fact remains, and they will tell you this, his body is in that tomb. His body is in that tomb. Jesus Christ, the founder of Christianity, 
There is no resting place for his body. All secular, historical, and biblical history point to one irrefutable truth. Jesus Christ rose from the grave. He is not buried anywhere on planet Earth. You cannot go and play homage to where he is buried because there is no burial place to go play homage. That's because Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven above. And the empty tomb testifies to that truth that he is truly risen from the dead. The tomb is empty. Man, that is our cornerstone. That is why we come to, that's why we come to church on Sunday mornings. Because Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And the Holy Spirit drawed us to Jesus. And we have a personal living relationship with him. Because he has risen from the dead. If he is not risen from the dead, your faith is futile. But if he is risen from the dead, and he is, that means everything. And that is why we stand on the word of God. That is why we stand on the truth. That is why we live for Jesus. Because Jesus Christ rose from the grave and the tomb is empty. Amen. Amen. Number one. This is Pastor David's position. That my favorite is the number one evidence is it is written. It is written. The authority of the Holy Bible. It is written. God has written it down in his holy word. The resurrection of Christ is the promise of the Bible. Is the promise of this book that you have in your hand or your app that you're on and you're scrolling through. It is the promise of God's holy word. God's entire word, all of the Bible, points to his resurrection. I want to read to you from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, where Peter talks about this very thing I'm saying. And I underline some key words. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Of this salvation, talking about salvation in Jesus, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. So the prophets in the Old Testament, they were prophesying. They were looking forward to the promise of the prophecies of the written scripture. And that would be the fulfillment of Jesus. Verse 11, searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who is in them, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ, he was preexistent before the creation of the world. He dwelled in eternity and his spirit was speaking through the prophets, telling the world that Christ was coming. He says the spirit of Christ who was in them, indicating when he testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ. And here it is, guys, look at it. And the glories that would follow. What are the glories that would follow? The resurrection from the dead. His resurrection, the victory that Jesus would secure for us at his death, burial, and resurrection. To them, it... What is the it? The it uh, was the gospel. To them, it was revealed, not to themselves, but to us who were ministering the things which now have been reported to you to those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things angels desire to look into. So Peter is saying here in this passage, saying that the prophets and the books they wrote, Old and New Testament, all point to the resurrection of Jesus. So evidence number one, my, my list, evidence number one, it is written, is actually 66 evidences for the resurrection. Why? Because there are 66 books in the Bible, and all 66 books point to the resurrection of Jesus. Now, if you take the total number of Bibles in existence, I heard somewhere around 7 billion and you multiply that times 66, that's an astronomical number I can't even think of. 
for the evidences of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Friends and family, at the end of the day, when we lay our head on our pillow at night and we close our eyes and we go off to sleep and we wake up the next morning and we go about our day, our faith in the resurrection does not rest in man's theories, ideas, or thoughts, imaginations, or opinions, or anything else that man can come up with. Our faith doesn't rest in man. Our faith rests in the simple truth of the Bible. Yes, I will step into eternity one day saying, Lord, thank you for your word. I believe the promises of it, and I'm looking forward to seeing you because it is written. It is written. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 through 25. I think Peter captures the thought well here of the preciousness and the sweetness of God's word and how important it is to us. Do, do Christians love their Bible? You doggone skippy, we do. We love it, we treasure it, and we just, it just fills our hearts with so much joy. Peter says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the, there it is, guys, look at it, the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Two things there in that passage that we need to draw out. Number one, God's word. God's word, the Bible, is living and enduring it will outlast us. You and I, our physical bodies will return to dust one day. We will be no more physically and the word of God will still be here and the word of God will stand because it is truth. Man, you trust in philosophies? You trust in religion? You trust in man's ideas? That's not a very wise decision to trust in philosophies of the culture, political, religious, anything that goes against the word of God. Because for Peter, Peter says here that man is just a vapor. Man is just a vapor. To trust in man's words, man's ideas, man's philosophies, you are trusting in a vapor. What are you going to trust in? Are you going to trust in the word of God? Or... Are you going to trust in a vapor? I'm going with the word of God. I'm rolling with God's word because his word is truth. God's word is truth and you can stand on it. Anybody that foolishly goes against it, they will lose that fight. Just ask 17th century French philosopher Voltaire. Anybody remember who Voltaire is? Voltaire was an atheist. In, in 1764, the French philosopher Voltaire, he wrote this, and I quote from Voltaire's lips, The Bible, that is what fools have written, what imbeciles commend, what rogue, rogues teach, and young children are made to learn by heart. We are living in the twilight of Christianity, he said, in 1767, he wrote to Frederick the Great, and he said, and I quote again, Christianity is the most ridiculous, most absurd, stupid, bloody religion that has ever infected the world. He said, writing to Frederick, he said, My one regret in dying is that I cannot aid you in this noble enterprise of expelling the world of this infamous superstition. That was his words. Voltaire's goal in life was to destroy Christianity through humanistic philosophies. Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies which depend on human tradition, man's ideas, rather than on the word of God. He predicted, Voltaire predicted, within a hundred years the Bible would disappear from the face of the earth and Christianity would be no more, and they would rid the world of it. Voltaire died in 1778. Fifty years after his death, the Geneva Bible Society 
purchased his home and they used it to print, store, and distribute thousands of Bibles across Europe. Man, I'm, I'm, it's scary to go against the word of God. I'm telling you, man, I shake and I, 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 I shake and I, I get fearful whenever I, I see people go against scripture because that's, that's, that's not a good place to be. That's not a good place to be. Listen to Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 and 6. We're closing it up here. Uh, I think I shared this the other week. I ran across this verse in my devotion on October 30th, the 30th of October. I said, I'm going to read Proverbs 30. And I read this verse and it grabbed me. Proverbs 30, verse 5 and 6. Every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his word or he will reprove you and you will be proved a liar. God says, you will be corrected. You will be made a liar. Why? Because the word of God is truth. It's like, a, it's like it, uh, it parachuted down from heaven. God gave us this gift of his word. And the truth of the resurrection, going back to my, my final evidence, is it is written. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. The tenth and greatest evidence for the resurrection is the authority of the Bible. Accept it or reject it, but it still happened. It still took place. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 8, nothing can be done against the truth, but only for the truth. Romans chapter 3, what if some do not have faith? Would their lack of faith nullify the faithfulness of God? Not at all. Let God be true. Every man be a liar. John 17, 17, Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Friends and family, go in peace. Walk in his joy. You have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. You believe in his resurrection from the dead. And God has given us ample evidence that his word is true. You can look inside the Bible for the proof of the resurrection. You can look outside of the Bible for his resurrection. It's a firm foundation that he is risen from the dead. Now, after service, please share with me. Let me know if you had something else on your list. Because these, I, I just came up with them and then I put them in order. So let's pray. Father God in heaven, we come before you, Lord, thanking you for the truth of your resurrection from the dead. Lord, I pray that uh, these words have found a solid place in everyone's heart. I pray that these words that I've spoken this morning will bring hope. I pray these words I've spoken this morning will bring faith. And I pray this morning that these words will bring salvation, that people will be reassured in their hearts of the truth of the resurrection. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And Father, if there's anyone here who hasn't confessed you as Lord and Savior, who hasn't turned from sin, who hasn't invited you to come into their life, I pray that you'll give them the faith to do that this morning. Help them, Lord, where they're at now to call upon you, to repent of their sin, to say, God, I am a sinner. I am guilty of breaking your laws. Give them a heart of repentance and then help them, Lord, to put their trust in you, to invite you into their life. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, If we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our hearts God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. In Romans 10, 13, Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, Anchor the believer's faith. 
and call those home that need to come home to you and put their trust in you. Lord Jesus, thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the truth. And um, put this in our toolbox. Put this in our back pocket. So the next time we're talking with someone about the resurrection, we can share with them the evidences for the resurrection of Christ. For us in Jesus' mighty name I pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen.